Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion for people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Visual, interactive, meaningful, productive. Four values underpinning AssetMap, a financial planning platform loved by advisors and their clients. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Good afternoon, Russell Ho. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Awesome. Thanks, Louis. Thanks for having me. And it's a, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast or be one of your early guests on your South African podcast. Yeah. So what we're trying to do with this podcast is definitely to promote the positive evolution of advice. And one of the first people that came to mind is Russell. And, you know, just by looking at where he spends his time in terms of building his craft of financial planning, I think this conversation would be brilliant just sharing you know, your history in financial planning, what you're busy doing at the moment, and where we see the industry industry heading. So let's maybe touch on what you're doing at the moment. Tell us a little bit the practice that you're worth and the type of clients that you serve. Awesome. Thanks, Louis. And uh, yeah, like I said earlier, again, once again, thank you so much for this opportunity. And uh, I'm hoping what I share today that, you know, can add some value to everyone that's listening. Um, so currently now, just to give you guys a bit of a background on me, I've been seven years in the industry. I still think that's a youngster in terms of how the industry does. But yeah, I've been seven years in the industry. I'm a fully independent financial or certified financial planner, and I work currently under succession financial planners. And it's been an exciting journey, both ups and downs. Um, going through the years, I would say I've learned a hell of a lot, which I'm sure most of you have, uh, especially if you've worked in our industry. And in addition to that, where I am now uh, within the last three years, which we are actually launching now within the next month or so, I've built a team of other professionals, accountants, attorneys, trust specialists as well, just kind of to build that coaching philosophy for like all my clients. And when it comes to my clientele, I would say I basically don't discriminate against any specific client. And I focus a lot on helping, I would say, young or established professionals and a lot of, I would say, middle to high income families, you know, that are just trying to make sense of where their money's going isn't being used with intent and purpose for the lifestyle that they want to build. Brilliant. You touched on some very interesting ideas there, you know, servicing your clients as a team. And then also what I heard you say was, you know, young professionals really resonate with the service that you offer. Can you maybe unpack a little bit, you know, what this team looks like and, and how you're servicing those young professionals? Okay, so I, I'm actually gonna go a bit into kind of where the idea came from. So my second year of being in the industry, which was like six years ago, <laughs> 
it, it all started with that and also reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. That was probably my first book that I got into. And uh, Lou, you know, I'm kind of a book nerd in my off time. <laughs> and uh, I will kid you not, like the first time I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, like many of us, I just thought, well, basically he's telling me to buy a property. And yeah, I'm in my early 20s. I can't even afford to buy my own new car or own property. So I don't know if that's going to work for me. And I read it the second time. And just so happens that coincided with like, or, you know, it connected with an experience I had with a client, which was that I started realizing finally that clients had a lot of problems outside the financial advisory space in other fields of their life that needed assistance or they needed help or needed some form of coach. And in addition to that as well, I found that if I could just put the right team, almost sort of like build my own Avengers, I guess you could call it right? That I could add extreme amounts and extensive amounts of value to my clients in more than one way or another. And it just so happens, coming back to the Rich Dad Poor Dad book, I read it for the second time and I actually learned something properly this time, which was that one of the gems he mentioned was that he spent three months job shadowing his rich dad. And in the beginning, he couldn't understand why his rich dad was paying so many fees or, you know, paying for services of an accountant, an advisor, a property manager, banker, lawyer, and so forth. And he thought it was a waste of time. But by the end of the three months, because he got to sit in on those meetings, he realized that his rich dad wasn't paying them for their services or technically advice or for them selling anything. It was just to have that board of coaches in, I would say, in his corner so that whatever decision he makes with regarding to his life, you know, and his business and the empire that he was planning to build, he could ask each and every one of them, you know, I want to do this or make this decision. Like, what do you guys think? Is it good or bad? And don't tell me in your your technical field jargon. Tell me in simple English. Is it a good decision? What do I need to be aware of? And those two concepts kind of, or those two ideas connected for me in that second year. And I was like, you know what? For the next couple of years, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm going to start building, networking, and looking for the right people to build this team. And now within the last three years, I've been fortunate enough to find those uh, right and correct individuals that not only share the same work ethic, the mentality and the coaching philosophy, but care about the client just as much as I do, you know, and we're actually releasing now, we're launching within the next month and it's made up of, you know, we've got a chartered accountant, there's two tax practitioners, including myself for South African tax and the third one's an offshore tax specialist and trust. Uh, we've got an attorney and a conveyance in the team. We've got a real estate agent or property specialist as well. And then we've got a medical aid specialist. So it's basically offering this whole collective group of coaches that you have access to, you know, when you work with us. That's great. I love that idea of the Avengers team that's got your <laughs> back. That's, you know, kind of distilling what you need at the right time that you need it. For a lot of advisors, you know, they struggle picturing the actual value that you bring to the relationship, right? Be it mm. through the fees that we earn or the products that we have in front of clients. How do you see that value that you bring to the relationship given the fact that you're part of this bigger team? So I think the value when you look at or you think about value bringing to your client or your customers, and it doesn't have to only be for advisors, I think within any industry, right? What I've learned since day one being in this game or in this field is that always put yourselves in the shoes of your client. So think, you know, 
whether it's the advice you give, how you position yourself, how you approach clientele, always think like, if I was a client, how would I see this? Because nine times out of 10, and I'm sure Louis, you can agree and you've also seen it as well. Most of us make the mistake of thinking, oh, I like this approach, or I like this product, or I like this, the way we do things in business this way, because I like it, you know? But technically, do do your clients favor or like it, or does it appeal to them? So that's always the first step. And then when it comes to value, you know, especially with technology today and, you know, especially in our industry, your value has got to be more than just the product or service you offered. Because with technology nowadays, you can buy almost everything online. So especially in our field, and we've seen it a lot happen within this last year to two years, our value is being more scrutinized now than ever. People are actually asking, you know, I'm paying you a fee or advisory fee. You know, what am I getting in return? And what I realized, which I'm not sure a lot of you are aware of, is that the value that or the advantage that we have is think about it. People have a bad perception about the financial advice industry. You know, they think, oh, we all policy sells when you sell insurance and all that. And yes, you can see that from a negative point of view. Oh, no, it's depressing. It's bad to hear that. But you can also see it from an optimistic point of view. Like, that's actually pretty good because that means for most of customers or most of my clients, the expectation when they before they meet me is yeah. So if I can give them a completely new experience and delivering or value proposition that's up here, just imagine how that's going to you know shock them and also in turn you know generate more business because they would tell all their friends and colleagues of like you know I went to Russell or Louis, I thought he was just going to sell me life insurance, and instead we never talked about product whatsoever. And it's completely different to any advisor I've dealt with. You've got to go see them. And they might be thinking, but my advisor or the person I'm dealing with, all they do is sell insurance to me. You know, I haven't experienced what so-and-so experienced. Maybe I should see if I can go and see their advisor. So coming back to the value thing, it's more about without the product or two, what actual human value are you adding to your clients? You know, if something goes wrong, or if there's any big lifestyle decisions they're making in their life, you want to make sure that they can talk to you. I always have it with my clients that, yes, I I can sell you insurance or investment products, but that's kind of the byproduct of my whole advice philosophy. You buy more into me as a person because when things go bad, whether it's the markets or something in your life, or you, or it could be a good thing, you transitioning to a new job or you want to go work overseas, Nine times out of ten, yes, you have, you can Google that. But the biggest problem is like sifting through Google and saying like, okay, which is fake news, which is nonsense, what is the legit information? And most of the time, a lot of that information is very generic. So then it comes down to the next issue. It's like, okay, I know what they're saying here, but A, I don't understand it because it's in jargon, in financial jargon. And B, so how does this exactly apply to my scenario, my situation? And that's where we add value in as advisors is looking as a client as them individually not as a number and saying okay you're making these big decisions now going forward in your life these are the things that are going to apply to you and these are the questions you need to be asking yourself and this is what can happen in terms of the outcome and i'm here to make sure that we get the best outcome for you that's great i mean you've said to me before we need to raise the bar in this industry. And what comes to mind is just the fact that the bar at the moment is still quite quite low. And hopefully, you know, over time we can we can increase that bar. 
and you know the pun that you're also a weightlifter comes to mind. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of bars uh, included in this, and I know that you're training for for an upcoming event. What role has fitness played in your life as a financial advisor? Yeah, so fitness plays a huge role to me. Um, and for most of you that don't know, me and Louis are quite close. I've shared this with him already. But it's probably a pivotal part of my life in the sense that it started also from with a work mentality is when I started in the industry, right, as a really young lighty back then, straight fresh out of varsity. I kid you not, a lot of the senior advisors that I met, the first thing they told me is that, you know, no one's going to trust you with your money because A, you're not gray or bold, B, you're not old, and C, you don't have a boop or belly. No, so who's going to trust the money with you? And for the first year, I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. I'm assuming all those factors, you know, accumulate to some form of wisdom that appeals to the client. But then I eventually started thinking, but then if I have, especially the book or the beer belly, you know, to me, I was like, what happens if I have a heart attack or I die before my client, you know, and <laughs> then I can't take care of my client's interests and their lives. So I started thinking from the same perspective that I believe Sandro Forte mentioned it once on Franchise Podcast was that when he started, he had the same problem and or it had the same experiences and he started seeing that, you know, my one of my value offerings to my client is that I'm going to take really good care of myself because my value add to you is longevity. I'm going to try and take care of myself so I can live longer to take care of you. And that became one of my mentalities as well. That in addition to the fact that for most of your listeners and viewers that are listening now, well, it's always always been a big thing. So I used to always be the chubby kid through high school and I used to weigh 100 kgs of pure fat and I was like really overweight. I couldn't even run a mile um, or kilometer in South African terms. And that's why health also became so important to me because it was in my early years of working, it was slowing down and depriving me of energy that I could be putting towards my clients and their needs. And over time, I started realizing that working out and staying fit was not only just for the sake of working out and, you know, keeping the, the weight off, but more so of a mentality outlet, you know, because we have really stressful jobs. It's an outlet for stress so that your mind is clear by the time you uh, finish the workout and you can take on whatever obstacles the world throws at you on that day. So that's what it became to me. It became more than fitness. It became like free therapy to me in a sense that it's my stress outlet. Once I get my workout done every day, I'm ready for whatever the day throws at me. You know? So that's why it's, it's more to me than just fitness and lifting weights. <laughs> and, you know, and through that, you reinvented yourself. Right, so I can see the presence that you bring to these conversations, which is just—it's refreshing. I want to talk a little bit about the early days in your career as an advisor. You know, for a lot of people, starting out is really tough, especially those first couple of years. You know, maybe we can just jump back seven years sure. to Russell <laughs> that's starting out. You know, like how did that happen? What were you doing? And tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so yeah, sure, more than happy to share. So. Like many of you, I started out about seven years ago, did my BCom and my postgrad in financial planning at Nelson Mandela University now, it's called, I believe, I think that's the new name, and graduated and then I was applying to go work in the industry and um, 
I initially applied to, you know, a few of the asset managers like your Alan Grand Coronation. They tell me, look, qualifications are good, got good marks, but you have no field experience. So then the next best option I tried applying was at Old Mutual and Old Mutual Wealth. And they accepted me off the bat and uh, started working there. What shocked me, and that probably was the first shock that a lot of us as planners experience when you get into the field, especially when you've gone the educational route, was that, and not specifically of mutual, it happens everywhere, but I was shocked to find out I was overqualified for the job, you know? And I kid you not, they said you, they told me I was overqualified because I had a BCom and a postgrad in financial planning, and I was still pursuing the certified financial planner designation at that point. And back then, which I will say the industry has come a hell of a long way, is that back then, the basic criteria for hiring as a financial advisor was matric, sales experience, and drivers. No financial qualification whatsoever. I was just like, this doesn't make sense to me. So I started working and, you know, in the beginning as well, I used to take offense to people saying, oh, but your degree is just a piece of paper and doesn't mean a lot. And over time, I learned, yes, I, it can go both ways. Yes, it can be just a piece of paper. If you don't use the knowledge you obtained in varsity, practically and if you are able to use that knowledge it's actually an advantage and in my early years that's also where coming back to what I mentioned earlier I would say as a young planner I also got demotivated like many young planners that enter the industry where you know you go you go into this field and you want to change lives and you're going to do big things you know and earn a lot of money and then you start as a financial planner and the first thing you hear people call you is like oh you're a broker or policy sales I mean that's like a huge knock you like but I studied so hard and all that. And for me in the beginning, it was tough because dealing with that, men, you know, uh, mentally, uh, that was kind of demotivating in the start. I only started realizing later that, yes, it's, you know, our industry's got a negative perception, but that also just means how low the bar is set. And if you can deliver something of greater value, be, you know, above that, it's going to set you apart, you know, dramatically in the field. And that's how I was picturing it. So in my early years, when I started there, which I was there for three years, with full commission base, so no salary. And my first year was actually, I was just interning. So it wasn't even a permanent contract. They were like, look, you can come in once a month. Uh, that's the minimum you need to come in. And you do your targets kicking from June. Yeah. So I was there for the first six months. I didn't have targets. But I guess it's also because of my family upbringing and work ethic. I still treated it as if it was like the last job I had, you know, especially from my parents' side. So I came in at like seven o'clock in the morning and then I would leave seven or eight o'clock in the evening every day. And, you know, the guys couldn't understand why are you working so hard? Like you, you're not even getting paid properly. You full commission based, right? And it was more so of the opportunity for me, the way I saw it was like, okay, I've learned all this book knowledge and varsity. I want to see what people actually do in this field, you know, and, you know, there were obviously the people doing good things, people doing bad things. And I saw the pros and cons of each. I was like, okay, I'm going to take the good things out of each source and also learn that what's not working and try and take a different approach. So a good example, which most of us experience is that, you know, a lot of us aren't, you know, people savvy or people skill savvy. Um, including myself, I was introverted. Uh, I kid you not for many of the listeners and viewers out there. I was shy back in varsity. I didn't like doing public speaking events or talking to people. I was the guy in the corner of the room waiting for someone to come talk to me, not the person going forward and, and networking or meeting with people. So it definitely pushed me out of my comfort zone in the sense that I was thinking, okay, 
A, a lot of these guys are cold calling clients. And again, thinking from the mindset of a customer, I get a cold call and someone says, hi, I like to, I'm so-and-so, I'd like to meet with you and talk to you about your finances. Like, you just called me from a random number. I don't know you from a bar. So you want to look into my finances that I don't even tell my brother, my siblings, my parents about, but you want to come and look at my finances. What makes you think I'm going to trust you? So that was the first thing I noted. And secondly, I was like thinking, I need to get in front of these people that I'm going to try and get as clients. So that was also the, the biggest challenge that a lot of us as advisors have is finding clients or finding prospects. So I started thinking, you know what, right? There's a lot of these expos and events that are happening in the city. Bridal expos, home expos, kids expos, you name it, right? But there's no financial expo or finance expo, right? What happens if I, and I did it at my own cost, so the company wasn't paying me. It's like, what if I go and set up a store that has nothing to do with finance? Maybe it has some of old mutual branding, but has nothing to do with finance. Like there's a, literally there's a chocolate fountain and some lucky drawers and all at all on my cost. But the opportunity I would get out of that is two benefits. A, it's going to force me <laughs> to develop people skills because I'm an introvert. So I'm going to be forced to talk to people. And B, when I talk to people, it's just an opportunity to make conversation with them and sort of maybe bring in something they've seen in the newspaper back in those days, like in the Herald of like the budget speech or something they saw about the economy. I'll bring it up along the conversation. And the third benefit that I also got out of that, when they enter the draw and I've bought this report and I phone them the next day, my, I can't remember, my icebreaker and my, my trump card was phoning them and saying that, Hi, I was, especially at a Broad Expo. Hi, I was the Chinese guy in the tux, by the way, <laughs> that you were talking to <laughs> about your wedding plans. And I'm just following up because you said like, you know, we had a nice chat and you mentioned, yeah, you're struggling with your taxes or your retirement planning. And I was just hoping we could have a follow-up session or meeting where, you know, we can have a proper discussion and I can really try and help you with that. And I kid you not, for those that don't know, there's not really many or any Chinese people within our industry. It was my icebreaker because the moment I said that, they would be like, yes, of course. Like, how can I forget you? Like, I remembered you and you were talking so much. Yes, sure. Let's have a meeting. And just by having that, not only that I bought people skills, but in addition to that, I didn't have to do any cold calling. I kid you not, I tried it for the first week when I started. I hated it. I was like, this is not going to work for me. And going that route was just so much more beneficial because like people knew who I was. They saw me. There's more trust. Like, sure, come, let's have a cup of coffee at my place and we can talk finances. And I would say just going through that process. Yes, it cost me money, but the return I got was higher. I had a higher, I would say, hit rate when it comes to bringing clients. Like I'd say about 95% of those contacts I made at those expos became clients in the end. So yeah, that, that was my early journey, you know. Brilliant. You know, I can see that how you really break down financial planning into these bite-sized, you know, digestible things and make it easy. And, you know, even how you unpacked these challenges and said, okay, well, let's look at both angles. You know, what, what are the negatives and what are the positives? You know, what can I be using in this, in this situation? So you've been at Old Mutual for a couple of years. You know, how do you keep yourself motivated in that role to just continue growing? Yeah, so 
Definitely. I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges a lot of us as advisors face is, you know, how do you stay motivated? Because at the end of the day, you know, you're your own entrepreneur and business owner. So everything's depend on you. And most of the stuff or hard work that you do, no one else is going to see except yourself. Yeah. So how I kept motivated, I will say I was also fortunate enough, is that within my second year, I got, I kind of got my first mentor within the industry and his name was Glenn. And he was a top advisor, a really top advisor, I think like number two within Old Mutual nationally. And why I resonated so much more with him is that I went into that mentorship program with him and it was only supposed to be six months to a year and it turned into a three-year kind of relationship. And even now, I still keep in contact with him where basically he showed me that, yes, Russell, there's a lot of bad advice or bad advisors out there. But there's good guys like us that are doing things right. And he showed me the way of like how he was teaching or handling, you know, I net with clients and all they came to him was for his advice. And that helped motivated me in addition to, you know, me thinking from the point of, I've always thought this way. It's like, how, how can I always constantly add value to clients? You know, how can I learn? How can I do things better? And it was only after my second year of working on Mutual my mindset kind of shifted to the sense of, you know, whatever experience you have, whether it's good or bad, try and take something away from it and reinvent yourself for the following year. And that's what I did, you know, and I would say that's what kept me motivated up to this point is just trying to think how to re-innovate the way we do things. And it was all stemming as well from the whole kind of point or issue when, you know, when most of us first start is like, most financial planners are seen as a broker or policy salesman. Okay. That's fair enough. And most of the people that say that have experienced bad advice or they haven't really gotten proper advice before. So how do we change that? You know, what can we do now? What can you as an individual do to change that perception of that one person that over time will expand to more and more people? Because not only will they refer people to you, but they'll keep telling like the friends and colleagues and family about the different experience or what you're doing differently. And yes, you might not see a big impact in the beginning, but do it for a couple of years and you can ask a lot of the really good advisors and successful planners out there. It ends up compounding just like any other investment. Yeah, so that's what motivated me up until this point to stay in the ring and, and keep doing what I'm doing. So it's that incremental growth, you know, how your brand contributed to be able to be approachable to your clients, to simplify the way you're doing things. And then just trying to have the patience and not, you know, lose steam. You've been really successful in terms of connecting with clients and other people in the industry through LinkedIn. And that's something that's come up a couple of times. Can you maybe explore a little bit, you know, what your strategy is there and how that's impacted your business? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm more than happy to uh, explain my strategy. So first and foremost, uh, no secret. There's actually, actually is no strategy. <laughs> if you guys were expecting something big. <laughs> Um, I will say, I think I'll go over what I wish I'd done differently. So what I did in the beginning of LinkedIn, I only started using LinkedIn in my second year when I was at Old Mutual, so six years ago, properly, is that in the beginning, I made the mistake that most of us make. You start treating it like Facebook. So I treated it like Facebook. I was like, you know what? Whether we have a mutual benefit connection or whatever, I'm just going to connect and friend all of you. And then a few months down the line, I realized I have like three or 4,000 connections and there's no value whatsoever. So it's just quantity, not really quality, you know, and eventually I 
sat down one weekend and I cleared it all out. I sifted it down and I had the mindset or mentality of like, you know, Russell, see this LinkedIn platform network as people that you actually are meeting with on a day-to-day or regular basis in person. Yes, it's online, but see it as it's your own circle of network and people that you can share with in person. And I sifted down my network, cleared it all out, and I went back down to, I think it was one to 200 connections. And that was my first step. So A, don't treat it like Facebook. Really look at people that are adding or, you know, making differences within your industry. And also kind of niche it down to like, you know, what type of people do I actually want to connect with? I don't want to just connect because of your title. That's a stupid reason to connect with a person. It should be more like I'm connecting with you because I've seen some of the content you put out. It relates to me and I find it really interesting. And I find we can share experiences and thoughts that are mutually beneficial. So coming from that, that's the first step. The second thing that I started doing, which A, just so everyone knows, I also made that mistake in the early stages, was when you try to, I would say, look for mentors or you want to get something out of this, you know, person that you just connected with, a lot of us do it completely wrong. We go with the asking answer without even building some form of report or relationship or value with that person. We make the mistake of going to ask first, right? And a good example is a lot of young people, even I made the mistake, it's like asking senior people within our industry, like, oh, can you mentor me? Can I job share you? Can you share some thoughts, right? And this person, again, hasn't built a relation with you, doesn't know you from a bar, so I've just literally accepted your connection invite on LinkedIn. Um, but you're asking me for my precious time and me to share my knowledge or wisdom with you with the probably high expectation that I'm getting nothing out of this and it's not beneficial to me. It's mainly just benefiting you. And it's a bit selfish in that sense. So that's a mistake a lot of us make. And what I started doing more often before I would go and ask for something, and I've mentioned this, I would say term or concept to you before, is in a sense, filling up that goodwill bank account. You know, it doesn't have to be money. It could be just your time and your thoughts on something. So a good tip I gave in another podcast was about, you know, when you want to connect with someone, and that's the beauty of LinkedIn, there's no restrictions you can connect with anyone basically, is that look at the posts or articles that they are commenting on and share your thoughts or insight on it. You know, if they've commented on an other article, reply to their comment and say, that's a good point. I was seeing it from this point of view, you know, um, and this could be of value. That coupled with other ideas of like sending them, you know, other articles or content related to what they've commented on just to help them is a way of, you know, I'm giving this to you without expecting anything back. And I kid you not, like you've mentioned now, I've been quite successful or blessed on LinkedIn. I still think I'm in the early stages, but I am grateful for all the opportunities that have come my way. And I kid you not, I think there's still a long way for me to go or, or lots of room for improvement. But what I'm experiencing or getting back now has been due to the last six or seven years of me just giving back to people without expecting anything back. And now, you know, within this last year, I've been blessed and fortunate where people have asked me, including you, for podcasts and, and interviews and things like that. And I think it's all coming back to go with a giving hand without expecting them back and it'll come back to you in the future, you know. And I always try, don't do it as a once-off thing. I always try and always give back or fill out the goodwill tank more from my side 
so that it's benefiting the other person more. And that's how, you know, it's come back to me or, you know, other opportunities have come my way without me asking for it. That's so true. Hey, this idea of patience just keeps on coming up. You can't expect this to be a quick fix. You know, you need to be putting in the time and the effort to build your network and actually, like you're saying, deposit into that bank of goodwill, you know, give away without the expectation. And at some point, you know, if making sure that you're in the street long enough, you, you'll, that'll come around and come back to you. And if I may just add, sorry, uh, if I may just add what I forgot to mention is sincerity and authenticity matter 100%. You could say, yeah, it's online, but people can still see through you, whether it's online or in person. So sincerity and authenticity matter a thousand percent. So always come from that point. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. You mentioned while discussing this, you know, that you would tell the younger Russell this, or you would think that you would do differently. What would you tell younger Russell, you know, <laughs> seven years ago that's starting out kind of where you are now? So if I was talking to my younger self, and it's ironic you mentioned this because <laughs> I was actually picturing this thought or idea, I kid you not, like beginning of this year when I was doing like reflections on my goals for the year. And probably what I would tell my younger self if I was talking to him back when he just started into the industry, it's like, it's going to be one hellish of a ride. It's going to be hell of a hard, but, and it's going to be, there's going to be low points, but you are going to grow so much more from those low points and you're going to learn so much that eventually in the end, it's going to be, the reward is going to be worth it, you know, and the feeling is going to be worth it. And kid you not like, you know, like I said earlier, as an entrepreneur and business owner as well, aside from a financial planner, we go through highs and lows, you know, both personally and professionally as well. And we learn so much from it. And I think that's what also helps us develop our why of why are we industry. So, yeah, I would say that's what I would tell myself is like, you know, prepare for the highs and lows, but just know that you're going to learn a hell of a lot and it's going to be all worth it in the end. It's so true. Hey, just know that it's coming. It's almost like preparing a client for market correction. No, we can guarantee that at some point it's coming. At some point you'll have, it won't all just be peaks in your career. There'll be, there'll be lows. Would you be comfortable sharing some of those lows with us and you know what, what your takeaway is from them? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, I'm an open book. I'm more than happy to share. <laughs> there were probably, yeah, there were probably two lows for me, uh, in my career. And it was also to do with like personal experiences that I'm more than happy to share with you and the audience. So, I can you not like the first, the first low that I experienced in my career. And this was like the early days before I actually discovered my why or my passion and for why I'm in the industry it was probably in the year 2017. So I had just left beginning of that year. I had just left off mutual on the recommendation of also Glenn, my first mentor to go and explore the independent space and join succession financial planners and become an independent planner. And I was just to expand my scope of ways I can advise and help clients. Right. And it was also one of my lowest years because back then, even though, yes, I did have the same uh, focus on really helping clients, I didn't fully develop that why or that fire, should I say. And I made the mistake, like many, of almost falling into the area of like, I'm going to chase money this year. You know, I'm going to chase money or monitoring gain and I'll be able to earn more and that'll be good, right? So that year... I kind of hit a low point because my work-life balance went out the window. So I stopped exercising and go to the gym. I put on 20 kgs of weight. I was back up to almost close to 100 kgs again. And 
I was working in and out at the office. I would take, I kid you not, I was take, I would take casual clothes, like my jeans and my t-shirt to the work. And at the office after five, I'll go and change in the bathrooms and then I'll continue to work for another two to three hours. And I would do the same on a Saturday and a Sunday. And eventually I got so tired. I guess I could even say like I almost hated my job at the point because what made it worse. And this was like kind of when I discovered like, you know, the dark side of like social media. What made it worse was like I was comparing my life at that point to other friends and colleagues that I studied with. And you know what you see on social media, it's all the nice stuff. You see your friends buying houses, nice cars, traveling, and here you are struggling your butt off in this office by yourself, working by yourself, no one else to help you. And, you know, I got to such a low point within that 2017 year, I was considering, I kid you not, like quitting, you know, quitting the industry. And I remember that even the one time I was talking, at that point, I was talking to Corvus about it and he was like, also, like, Russell, you need to find your why, your, your, your passion for why in this industry. And that's going to open your eyes more, you know. And um, he gave it some time, worked a little bit longer. And I came so close to quitting of, like, almost like, you know what, I'm going to go teach English overseas because they're earning so much more than me. And, again, it was coming back to the idea of, like, chasing money. And my mom back then, I was talking to her about it. And I said to her, look, I'm looking at quitting. I can be earning more as an investment banker if I go work in Joburg or even I could go travel the world and teach English and I'll get paid better than what I'm experiencing now. And my mom back then said like, you might not see it, but you don't realize like how much value just you knowing how to manage money is helping others and you can't see it now. And I don't want you to regret it later. So if you don't mind, I would say like stay in it just for the remaining of the year. And try it out again next year in uh, in the new year in 2018. Try it for one more year. Because this was like we were having this talk in November, December of 2017. She was like, I know you're unhappy, but trust me, just try it for another year. And also just think about it from a point as you experience it now in this new upcoming year of like, think about it from this way. Do you want to just be remembered for someone that makes a lot of money? Or do you want to be remembered for someone that actually helps others and makes an impact in the lives of others? And... I didn't fully understand it back then, but I said, okay, I'll try for another year. And she also said like, look at the end of 2018 or this upcoming new year, if you still don't like it and you want to go teach English or go move to Joburg, I'll support you. If it's just for the money, I'll support you, whatever makes you happy, but just try for another year. So I said, okay, cool. I'm going to do it for another year. And that 2018 year was my second, probably one of the toughest moments in my life, I would say personally and professionally as well is that and it also but in a way the good thing that came out of it is like it lit up my why or my passion for why i'm still here today and why i do what i do and why i'm so passionate about really helping others when it comes to like financial advice and money so to give your audience kind of like a backstory and my family never had any illnesses before but give your audience a backstory start off with january end of january 2018 my dad starts getting shortness of breath you know, literally walking two feet from one table to the other. And he's a two oceans marathon runner. So we were shocked or surprised. Um, his doctor came back from leave, checked him out. And he said, Yo, you need to go and see my, my colleague immediately now, who's a cardiologist, because you had a mini heart attack, you know, and uh, Wintingo checked the cardiologist. Cardiologist says, you know, you actually, your heart's in bad shape. You need to have a quadruple bypass. Because 95% of your blood vessels are clogged. 
You know, this is for a two oceans marathon runner that runs marathons every year. So that was, that was the first blow. And to make matters worse, you know, um, he didn't have any medical aid or insurance cover, you know, and thankfully my parents were big savers. So we were trying to get in through referrals of the doctors to government hospitals and get it sorted. We knew the risk was that the waiting time would be the biggest risk because if my dad had another heart attack, he, there's a good chance he won't survive. So we took that chance, you know, because we couldn't afford private healthcare. Then another two months went by. So January, February, March, early to be on March, out of nowhere, my uncle, my closest uncle, and also closest brother on my dad's side to my dad, um, got diagnosed with brain cancer. He got a brain tumor. Also completely healthy, you know, uh, never had any illnesses before. And that was a lot to deal with as well, because now we've got families on both sides, both in different cities, you know, trying to tend to each other or comfort each other. And if that wasn't, if that wasn't enough, then like beginning of April, I don't know where my mom got diagnosed with stage four liver cancer and a tumor in the liver. So dealing with all of that, and my younger brother was still at varsity studying. So we had family come down, but all the responsibility of the household and everything else fell on my shoulders, coupled with the, the fact that I was still working and advising clients on a day-to-day basis. And like I said, none of my family had any medical aid or hospital plan cover. They just had some form of savings and we were going through government hospitals and also, um, you know, during in between client meetings, I was take I was literally taking my mom and dad to like all the, you know, the chemo and the doctor visits and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was a, a lot to deal with. And uh, unfortunately, by August that year, you know, um, my uncle had passed and my mom had passed. So only my dad came out of it alive, survived and fully recovered. But just going through that experience was, I would say, a hellish ride. And we we never had any chronic illnesses in our whole family. There was nothing wrong with our genetics or anything like that. And we would always say, like, that stuff never happens to us. It happens to other people, but it will never happen to us. And boom, in 2018, it happened to us three times, you know. Um, and I think just going through that experience and just so happens the previous year, I fixed up my mom and dad stuff, like the financial plans and stuff. But, yeah, going through that experience made me realize I was on the brink of quitting but thank goodness, like my family are not to be, you know, arrogant or anything. But thankfully, I had some basic financial planning or know-how, how to sort out finances and get all the plans together. And if we didn't have those plans together or if I wasn't there to advise the family and the extended family, you know, we'd be in such a mess right now. And I was just thinking for my clients, you know, that's actually why I'm there for. You know, they don't have access to that advice or that planning. And imagine if they had to go through something like that, not, not necessarily always being a good or uh, sorry, a bad event like that, but you know, the good events or any big decisions in life. Imagine they don't have someone in the corner to help them through that, you know, um, how would they survive? And that's what kept me in it. And after that taught me to be more grateful and appreciative of like the things I have. And I was like, you know what? I can't see myself leaving this industry anymore because in a way, it'll be like I'm abandoning my clients for all the upcoming events that might happen in their lives. And I want to at least be there so that they know if anything happens, Russell's there for me, you know. And uh, that's that's kind of fueled my passion and it, it reignited the fire in me for why I do what I do to this day. Thank you for sharing that with us, Russell. <laughs> you know, you can really see how you've taken yet again a difficult challenge 
a serious life transition for you and your family and actually turn that into your purpose, you know, that's now fueling the drive moving forward and it really shines through in everything you do. Thinking a little bit into the future, you know, like where do we see this industry heading? Like what is Russell <laughs> up to? Like what does the practice of the future look like? I know you spend a lot of time thinking of the future and sharing that knowledge. I'd like, I'd like us to maybe discuss some of that as well. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of big changes coming up for our industry going forward into the future. I think it's probably like what we've mentioned before. It's going to be less focused on the products that a financial institution offers and rather like, okay, if I'm going to an advisor for advice, you know, first and foremost, is that person legit and credible? You know, not just from what I hear, but I want to know on a social media base, you know, are there good things about him? You know, I always mention to him, people within the industry or to our colleagues and friends that you might not believe it but people are googling you now and it's happened to me numerous times from new clients that approach me even though they were referred to me by existing clients they googled me first the same way we google restaurants when we want to go try out a new restaurant we try and google first see what are the reviews is the food good what is the prices things like that so i think the first thing is realizing that we are going to be googled more into the future it might even get to the point of especially overseas where everything is now the biggest trend is like voice. So imagine another big trend is like to board up your social brand and status because the next trend that might come actually is voice on the basis of, you know, if someone or a customer says to um, Alexis, you know, Alexis, find me a financial planner in South Africa or find me a financial planner in Cape Town or Paul Elizabeth or Kobecha for us, <laughs> you know, um, you want to make sure that your profile comes up, basically. You know, so I think being searchable in Google online is a really big thing that's going to come in the future. And secondly, when clients see you, right, and they meet you, they coming back to it again. They're not coming to you for a product. They want to know, okay, if I buy into Louis or Russell or any other advisor, what I what am I getting to you, getting from you as a person and as a human being that I'm not going to get through? a DIY investment app or a robo advice to, you know, what am I actually getting for you? And also, is it not a one-time thing? Is it a lifetime thing? Because I would like to have a long-term mutually beneficial relationship with you. I don't want it to be a, a quick fix, you know? Um, the advice that we give, I think is becoming more important of like, it's not just to help you now. I'm here to help you now, the next six months, in the next year, next five years, next 10 years, till you basically die or your your legacy passes on. And I think that's what a lot of advisors need to be focusing more is like, what is the value proposition and always keep reinventing it. But what is the value that I'm adding to my clients, not just today, but for the future? And am I making enough time to work on it and improve it so that I'm always relevant and I will always be there to add more value so that 10 years from now, I'll still be in demand. And I think... Coming back to that as well, that's one of the biggest benefits I've learned from this journey as a financial planner is that it teaches us to be problem solvers for our clients. Yeah, And that's what clients are coming to us for. They're not coming to you just to buy a life insurance policy or a retirement product or an investment product. They're coming to you because they have a certain money problem and nine times out of 10, that money problem is linked to a problem that's affecting their livelihoods. So... I'm coming to you as a client so that you can give me peace of mind. So I don't have to worry about that stuff. You know, so I think that's where the advice industry is going more towards. And, you know, we've seen it a lot. I think it's 
specifically also going with the whole coaching mentality of being there. You know, I want to be coached. Yeah. And that's the way I see that the advice is going. And coming back to like what me and my team are doing and my practice, that's where we are growing towards as well. We doing more of that and we're also incorporating more technology and I would say social media platforms as a way to get our message out there. Wow. It's, there's a lot <laughs> in what you just said. You know, I want to touch on the thing that you mentioned, the mutually beneficial relationship. It's something that mm. I definitely also believe it can't just be a one-way street when it comes to client servicing. The advisor and the client should benefit from this relationship. Just like you mentioned, you know, you grow through a coaching conversation, but the coach learns as much as the coachee. Now, what are the things that you're doing to try and hone in on those type of skills? You know, you mentioned the problem solving and the coaching type of things. Like when you start developing those skills, like where do you start? Okay, so the first thing I would recommend to anyone is like never stop learning. You know, we, me and you, I know we're big fans of like learning. And I wish I adopted this mindset earlier on and, you know, not only pick it up in my second year of work in the field, but like never stop learning. And it doesn't always have to be just, the, you know, the financial advisor industry. So it could be other fields or, you know, other areas that could add value or could, you know, influence what you're talking about. So what I do is like I read a lot of books, self-development books um, and a lot of biographies because that's, you know, biographies of successful people is really helpful because they basically are outlined the mistakes and lessons they learned that you could perhaps you use in your field or your practice, should I say. And secondly, now, you know, don't, um, you know, don't forget about podcasts. You know, we're doing one now, but there's so many good podcasts and content out there. You know, um, same thing goes with like YouTube and a lot of like social media content out there. There's a lot of good content out there, but 9,010, most of us go and search for the entertainment stuff and not the actual good value stuff that we can take lessons away from it. And that's the beauty of technology today is that with technology, we have access to all of this, but 9,010, most of us aren't even tapping into it. You know, that rich source of educational content that is available um, to us. So I would say, yeah, going back to don't stop learning. And then with the whole coaching thing, you know, aside from all the books, the podcasts and the YouTube content, I would say always be, you know, open to connecting with others and sharing ideas with other people within your industry or your field. So like Louis, what me and you do a lot, I know we see it on LinkedIn. We connect with a lot of professionals in our field, not only just in South Africa, but overseas globally, US, UK, Australia, Europe, Asia. And the benefit of that is it's also another way of learning is that you can learn from others what they are doing in their country that might be applicable to you. And that could also help, you know, improve your advice process, but also your way of thinking when it comes to coaching and advising clients. Um, and then the other option is that, and I think you mentioned it on the Next Gen uh, Planner podcast, but like also always can't say look up, uh, you know, good courses and things like that that might be to your benefit that can always improve your skills, you know. Um, the last thing I would say when it comes to like learning and always being open to learning is always adopt the mindset of a student and being open to learn. I think a lot of us, I made that mistake in my early years, is that it's so easy to get arrogant, you know, in a sense of like, I know everything. I'm not going to be open to learning. And you find that it narrows your thinking, which will in turn affect the advice you give to your clients and the way you grow your business. 
And the more you remove that that human element of pride and ego aside and you open yourself to learning, it just opens so many more doors and you start learning of like, oh, I, I see things from this point of view, but so-and-so shares this point or I've learned this from this point of podcast. That's a different way of seeing things that can actually generate a better outcome for not only my business, but for my clients as well. So always be open to learning. I think that's a, that's a big step forward. Yeah, and your website says it so nicely. You know, you're addicted <laughs> to learning. <laughs> and, and it shows through, you know, even the patients that you have building these skills, you know, that relentless kind of everyday chipping away at it. Mm. James Clear talks about the power of accretion and that kind of 1% better every day compounds over time. Just like you said, Russell, you know, it's like an investment. You have to be putting in the work. And the fact that people are listening to this podcast means that they're really absorbing a little bit of that that information. If people want to reach out to you or connect to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so if anyone wants to reach out to me, probably the most active platform that I'm on right now on a professional point of view is probably my LinkedIn. So you can probably connect with me on LinkedIn. It's pretty straightforward, Russell Ho. You can't, I don't think there's another Russell Ho out there, but yeah, uh, I'm probably the one yeah, with the smiley face or the smiley picture and then saying, you know, turning financial gibberish or helping you hack financial gibberish into finance savvy. So, you know, you can easily find my profile. Um, and then that's got all my contact details on there as well, including my profile, me badge and everything as well. Um, other than that, I'm quite active on Facebook and LinkedIn. You might find my page, you know, Bite Size Finance or you might find me on Instagram as Russell underscore ho 90. So I'm, I'm easily find, uh, findable on all social media platforms. And then, yeah, there is some exciting new launches we're doing on our social media scale. But, you know, just be a lookout for that on my LinkedIn. Like you said, you should be, people should be able to Google you and find you easily. Yeah, so if you sure Google me, you'll find me basically. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Russell. I think your experience and the positives and the negatives really shines through in everything you do and this love of learning and really appreciate the time that you've you've put aside for us to have this discussion. Awesome. No, fantastic. Thanks for having me, Louis, and uh, also for having me and listening to me to all your viewers. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys can take something away from this as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Rush. Great. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.